Hi, Mark Anthony Rains presents Bird and Jam. I'm born in the underground of Brick City. The third in Jam is a neo-soul R&B based band out of Newark, New Jersey in the United States. The band consists of a five-piece funk phenomenon with original live instrumentation at its core of originality and performance. The band's guided mantra is, every musical measure is a source of auditory pleasure. Thank you, Mark Anthony Reigns, for having us on. We are the third in jam, and you have two of the main co-founding members. I am Jerry Slim, and I'll let my partner in crime actually introduce himself. Hello, I am Everett Teagrew. I'm a guitar player and uh, co-founder and co-songwriter of The Third and Jam. And as I said before, don't be bashful. He is a published author as well. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> now, how did you come up with the concept of the name Third and Jam? Slim. I'll take you back a little further. Hell, how do we come to be? <laughs> uh, way back, um, I guess the age of Craigslist, um, we looked up and I, I contacted him and we got together and we found that we had uh, musical interests. Yes. Um, we sat down, uh, we met, uh, we played off each other well, and there was a tree in my neighborhood uh, at home that had the third and dram actually scribbled on it. It was just graffiti. So um, I always thought that was interesting. It kind of um, it simplified uh, at least what I do. I play in a whole lot of thirds. I'm chord man. <laughs> and of course the jam part comes naturally, but uh, maybe uh, Everett uh, can tell his take on it. Yeah, um, you know, I've been, I've been looking for uh, band members and Thank goodness for the internet because it made it a lot, it made the search a lot easier. And um, so I was on a musician's website and um, I saw Sean's um, Jersey Slim, aka Sean Mitchell. Um, I saw his, and you know, his ad. He was looking for uh, fellow musicians to start a band. And it's something that's, you know, it seemed, it seemed like a, a, it would be a good fit. And we met up and it was a good fit. And then we went through the process of auditioning other musicians and finding singers and, and that took a while we went through a, a, a lot of different people until we found <laughs> and but once we found our core group you know we got down to rehearsing and writing songs and and um, that's how it started how do you go about writing your songs start off, believe it or not, it's, uh, first of all, I want to say it's a group effort. Um, what one person doesn't do well, the other person comes, um, a, well, two ways to start. Uh, first, one person, well, anybody can bring something to the group, but believe it or not, a few of the great songs actually just came through uh, a general jam session where we said, hey, stop, uh, play that again. Um, we recorded it immediately. Uh, we asked everybody to come back with a different part, and uh, believe it or not, the last thing that we posted all together now 
was actually born by the bass player and the drummer just kicking around. I mean, I, I thought it was amazing. I said, stop what, stop what you're doing right now. And, it just, and like I said, he even came up with the, um, I guess, the core lyric uh, all together now. And uh, I think we met the day after that and the rest is history. Uh, a great song came into play. Yeah, and um, then one of the other processes was like sometime I would come up, come up with something on my own and to come with, you know, this uh, a guitar, bare bones guitar uh, demo or so. And I would demonstrate it, you know, go through the song in front of the band. And this is what I love about being a band, being in a band. They would then take what I took and add their, you know, add their magic to it. And then, you know, it would really shine. And, and so, you know, we had different approaches, but you know, those two approaches were, you know, two of our main approaches. Anyone could bring something, whatever idea, spark up an idea. And we were all so in tune with each other. We could just, you know, play off that idea and come up with something tangible, something funky. And it was definitely a lot of, um, I guess, different moving parts. Like the main singer, uh, Keisha Chanel, uh, Keisha Parker, uh, she comes from a great, great musical background. Um, the way she brings everything, well, lyrics to life, that, uh, that every post uh, writes or I writes, uh, it's amazing, at least from the standpoint of what I envision, then she takes it and makes it better. Uh, the drummer, Emmanuel Green, uh, consummate professional. I mean, there's nothing that we can't throw at him and ask him to do that he doesn't uh, turn up to 10 and make it that much better. And Chris, oh God, Chris, um, he's come up with some of the most unique original bass lines I can say of any bass player I've ever met. He has that uh, Philadelphia uh, with Northern Philly sound, uh, Jill Scott, uh, with Curtis Mayfield, Everett, what are some other musicians from uh, that, uh, that Northern Philly part? Well, you know, um, Eric Abadu, uh John Legend, you know, that whole uh, melodic. Yeah, the roots as well. Uh, he may forget it, but once he puts it down, it, it's something to behold. It's very melodic. Um, it's the bass man. <laughs> no. Why did you know Mark Anthony Rains? Uh, I guess I'm sorry. You, you go ahead. You go ahead and ask. I was, was going to say, who was your main influence in the, the gender of funk? I'm not ever take that. Well, for me, um, Prince. Prince was the man, uh, Prince, the Isaac Brothers, and when I say Prince, I mean all those offshoot groups from Prince. Prince, The Time, you know, uh, Jam and Lewis, um, uh, Madhouse. You know, Madhouse, you have all those groups, the whole Minneapolis sound, then you have uh, the Isaac Brothers, and you Sheik, you know, Roger Troutman, for me, and um, anything with a funky guitar player, James Brown, all his guitar players, you know, Jimmy Nolan. Catfish Collins. Um, I just love funky guitar and I love rock and roll guitar too. So I love all the hard rock bands and you know Van Halen and White Lion, all those type of uh, rat, all those type you know anything dealing with guitars and stuff like that. Funk and rock. That's what I love. Well, what I think ever shines is uh, is rhythm guitar playing. So oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I sometimes look around and say, well, how do you come up with that? And it just, uh, it pulls everything together seamlessly. Well, 
thank you, but I love to rock too. <laughs> I like I like it loud too. <laughs> yeah, and Sean comes up with great keyboard plug, um, keyboard parts, and he has a knack for writing catchy songs. So Who would you like to record with, past or present? Um, definitely three women who cannot just sing. I call sing. Um, and of course, uh, from your neck of the woods, the brand new heavies. Uh, once they hit back in, I think, 88 and 89, I instantly fell in love with the group because nothing had been done at that time uh, where it pulled together instrumentation, especially instrumentation that incorporated uh, brass musicians. Um, and Nadia Davenport, second to none. Um, so once that hit, I, I knew uh, I knew what my path was in terms of music. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow, that's a deep question. Um, for me, it would it would be uh, Prince, uh, the whole Minneapolis camp. Um, I love that sound of you know the, um, the combination of keyboards and funk and rock guitar, and funk bass and stuff. Um, that I would love to, I mean, I would have loved to have been in one of his, his um, protege groups, you know, um, because I know I can, I'll be able to play a lot of rhythm, a lot of lead stuff too. I just love that, that combination of sounds. That would, that would be, uh, that would be my, that would be my dream gig from the past. Do you find it harder to get established in the music world now with the talent shows that are around? So, um, with the advent of technology, the market is saturated. Um, as one great person said, there's two ways of getting in. Do something better than anybody else, what anybody's doing at uh, anybody that time, or do something totally different. Um, and it's, I'm not saying it's necessarily hard, but uh, getting followers or getting people to notice your music in such a saturated market becomes quite challenging. Uh, I think less than 1% of the music out there actually gets some sort of head of steam where it's actually monetized to a point where the musician uh, or musicians themselves can actually uh, make a viable living, so to speak. And um, also, Right now, uh, a lot of groups, at least at least in this area, this Jersey area, a lot of groups that gig constantly play covers. You know, a lot. Of, I know a lot of musicians that make a living um, playing music, but they're playing covers. I mean, every gig is a cover gig. You know, they get to play um, the weddings, the the fairs, the streets fairs, you know, the festivals and and clubs and stuff like that. But it's all. Um, it's all covers, and what you hear on the radio now is more so, you don't hear groups that, groups that much. You know, you can see a group playing at the club, but uh, you, you rarely hear them on the radio like you used to. You know, back in the, I sound like an old man, but back in the 70s, you know, the 80s, you, you know, the groups were a dime a dozen. You know, they had 9, 10, 11, 12 members, and you know, uh, complete with a horn section. Now you don't hear that anymore, you barely hear people playing instruments. You know, but you can go on YouTube and see a lot of great musicians playing in the room, uh, playing along to records, but as far as hearing them, hearing them on the radio, 
with hoops. That's rare nowadays. Yeah, something is definitely sorely missed when it's one person producing. Um, they definitely may, may or may not have a good concept, but like we said before, there's something magical when five different factions come into play and they bring their musical expertise, uh, their stories, their knowledge, and when it meshes, it's something special. It's kind of hard to recreate, uh, recreate. And like I said, the 70s were definitely a time where everybody, in my mind, was good as well as different. Do you think it's important that when you say you record a studio album and you go on to a tour, that you should be able to reproduce that live? Um, I say at least to 80 to 90% of the time. Um, especially if the tune is recognizable. Now, you definitely want to want to give people their money's worth and give them parts of the song that can be um, heightened, um, ad living and so forth. But if it's one of your staple songs, um, I think the recreatability of it live uh, should be at least 85%. But uh, Ed, what's your take on it? Well, part of the uh, attraction of playing live is, you know, is sometimes stretching those songs out. You know, where, you know, you don't have to be overindulgent to when you turn the audience off because uh, only a small percentage of the audience you know, is there to see, you know, instrumentation as far as, you know, solos and stuff like that. And um, the majority of them was there to hit their favorite song, or the song that brought them there in the first place. And that's cool. And I, I, you know, I believe you should be faithful to the song, but to an extent, not where it sounds like canned, like, you know, like, like you could just might as well, if you're going to do that, might as well play the record. Um, I believe life, live performance you know, you can make your bones as a group with live performance. Um, and I think that's when you really shine as a group. Because if you can cut it live, I mean, you can be, look at the Rolling Stones or Bon uh, Jovi. You know, if, if you can put on a good live show and cut it live, Bruce Springsteen, you can cut it live. You can be, you know, your 70s, 60s, 70s, maybe 80s still playing, you know? And stuff like that because the audience will be there to see you because they know that you can cut it live as well as on record. So I'm, I agree with Sean, but 85%, 80, 85%, you know, and then that, that remaining percentage, you know, you can stretch out and have fun. You know, that, that yeah. And which my band members uh, definitely do quite well. <laughs> I turn around sometimes and say, oh, okay, another solo, go ahead, do your thing. <laughs> well, I was a great so, fan of Queen when they was uh, with, with Freddie Mercury. And oh yeah, he was brilliant live. Yes, he he could definitely. hold his audience. You know he definitely knew how to work the crowd. And I think that's important, as you said yeah. earlier. I mean, it's great to hear it on record. Don't get me wrong, because I know in a studio you probably can produce sounds that are, and you can tweak them a bit and make them more smoother. But like yeah. you said, if you can play to like 85% to 90% live, I think people would appreciate it. Yes, and speaking of Queen, like Brian May, you know, his guitars were so orchestrated in the studio, but he found a way to do it live and combine that with, with, with Freddie Mercury's energy, you know, and, and 
it was an amazing show. It was an amazing show because he could replicate what he did in the studio live. So you had the best of both worlds. And then they could stretch out if they wanted to. So so they were like the perfect band for that. And that was definitely one of one of my main concerns in getting uh, well actually starting the band. If you couldn't do it live, uh, the same way you did it in the studio, uh, kind of scrap it. I mean, you, we can't do it with just a five-piece. You know, you can bring in more people, but with the five-piece, you should be able to get out there and the same way you record it, you should be able to play it pretty close live without any extras. And as a matter of fact, uh, many of our recordings were recorded live as a band. You know, so so we uh, we stress playing live. And recording and playing out and gigging because that's what you know to me that's what a band is really about you get in a room and uh, you do your thing what is the gigging like where you live is it easy or hard it's on and off Jersey area has a lot of great musicians but getting them together uh, very hard. <laughs> and uh, kind of looking at the, the generation the generation change also. I'm not saying millennials or even the generation after that appreciates live music, but they haven't had enough exposure to it uh, from early grade level to give it that level of appreciation that I think should be there. Yeah, we once played a gig where uh, we, we played a gig and they also had a DJ there. So we played first and, you know, we, we had got a good response. But uh, once the DJ came on, all the young people, you know, that's what they gravitated toward. And it was just, you know, it was like, can you, you know, they actually came to one of us for the request for the DJ. And <laughs> we're packing up our equipment. And so, not right, not wrong, it just is. <laughs> it is what it is. Well, that's the unfortunate world we live in now, unfortunately. Because I'm like you, I can yeah. remember, I'm, I'm over 50, so I can remember the days of glam rock and punk. I've been to a, I, I used to go to a lot of punk live bands, concerts, and that was quite yeah. good fun. <laughs> and, um, is it that same energy? Uh, does it exist today where you're at? Um... Some bands, I'm, I can't speak so much now because when I used to live in Essex, I used to go around with a local band and help them out, you know, doing a bit of roading and stuff like that. Oh, roading? Okay. <laughs> I know you have some great stories. <laughs> well, I could do, but I can't put them on radio. Um, <laughs> um, but um, I found it interesting because you've got the insight of how a band works because we, they, I used to go and watch them practice, and like you said, they would hone in their skills of, oh yes, we better play that bit on the guitar rift, oh that drum bit there, oh that's a little bit yeah. off, could you just ramp it up a little bit? Those kind of yes. little things you can switch around a little bit, and then when you go to play live, okay, they had to play two covers just to get into the pubs because they preferred that in that time of day, as you said, yeah. unfortunately. But he did play a lot of their own stuff as well. Wow. Yes, um, that's, yeah, that's one of the best parts about being in the band because 
I recorded on my own, you know, just in my home studio set up and it's fun and it's very creative. You can do a lot in the studio, but once you get around other musicians and other like-minded musicians and you're all, you know, in tune with each other and, and there's something special about that. It's definitely magical. I've, I've, I've tried to recreate it, but it's just hard to find uh, people with the same skill level, people with the same background, people with the same passion. Uh, I know I've run into musicians, or so-called musicians, a dime a dozen, but when it comes to them being creative or bringing what they actually know to the table, it, um, it usually fizzles out pretty fast. Yeah, it, um, it's, it's almost like playing, like when you hear actors saying that you know some of the best situations acting wise when it's when it's the seamless and they play off each other like you know you're not afraid to go here because i know wherever i go you can follow in the best man situations that's how it is you know I, if i'm if i'm feeling it this night and i want to stretch out i'm not afraid to do it i know i can do it because the band members have my back we all you know we're we rehearse we honed our skills we're, we're all in this you know, we're like a, a, a well-oiled machine. And so where I go, I know they'll, you know, they'll follow me. It's the, in the best band situation, that's the perfect match. Well, yeah, it just takes a glance of everybody looking at each other, a quick nod, and keep the party rolling. Yeah, let's, let's go. <laughs> what advice would you give to a band that they say they were starting up? What would you, what would your advice be to them? Um, starting out, um, competent at what you do well um definitely have some background of music when i say background um many of the uh bands of today didn't listen to classical didn't listen to uh polk didn't listen to reggae um and the times we came up in, you had to get a little taste of everything, especially coming through uh, schooling. It wasn't a music, it, I, guess a, uh, I guess a music appreciation course, but you actually had to play it. So by playing it, you bring something special to the table. If you don't have your background, uh, what you want to do is become a one-trick pony, uh, which is kind of reminiscent of the music today. I can tell who produced it. Um, I know the style. I know where it's going. I know where it's going to end. Um. Yeah, and I would add to that, I would say, yeah, be open-minded about music. Um, don't listen to just one type of music. Um, music is there to be enjoyed in many different colors. And at its best, music is colorless. It, it just depends on how it affects you. I've, I've met musicians, and it shocked me, who only listen to one form of music. And it limits you not only um, socially, but also on a technical level. Because different styles of music, you know, they have different, different technical demands. I guess you could say, and overall, as a player, you always want to keep improving, and also uh, you want to get with people that you can actually get along with. Because if you're in a band, you're in it for the long haul, and you're going to see each other at, at your best and at your worst. And you want to, you know, you want to have people that you can mesh with on a personal level as well as a musical level. And also, write songs, original songs. <laughs> It's very important. <laughs> well, I try to do music. I'm not a musician. I can't play. I just use my voice. And I try to come up with lyrics. And I find lyrics is quite hard. I think you have to... I think... 
how I write a lyric is I have to be in that emotional moment to write a lyric. Oh, definitely. Um, some of the uh, more heart-wrenching um, songs by the Third and John uh, definitely come from the resident writer here, uh, Mr. Novelist. Um, and their stories. I mean, complete with beginning, beginning ends, climaxes, uh, tearjerkers. Yeah, there are a couple of fun songs in there, but a couple of them there just, um, they definitely pull out the heartstrings and they tell a great story uh, that are universal. Yeah, um, sometimes it's easier to, you know, write out your feelings than actually speak them. So a lot of, um, a lot of heartfelt lyrics and deep lyrics actually come out um, better <laughs> in the song than, than me, you know, saying them or kind of, you know, or, or, or letting it out. Uh, that's my way, as far as, personally, as far as songwriting is concerned, um, that's my way of um, getting out a lot of feelings and it's therapeutic in a way, in many ways. You know, you like Sean said, you have your, your fun songs or, you know, let's jam songs and stuff like that. When, um, lyrically, if you delve deeper, you know, you have to really um, just open yourself up. And, and especially if you have something on your mind, something in your heart, most of the time, it'll just flow. You just have to, you know, you just have to let it flow and be open to it. Oh, yeah. That song's come through heart loss, heart loss and pain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You must have your ass kicked in life. <laughs> Now, where can people purchase your music or find your music? Okay, uh, we are on a bevy of platforms. Um, Amazon, uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Music, um, Spotify, uh, all the pretty much major music outlets. But I would encourage anybody that wants to hear more from the Third and Jam uh, go directly to the website and of course go through the various links and uh, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, the major platforms and of course um, we do from time to time send out uh, people who are really excited about the music uh, released as well as unreleased materials. Um, the big thing is uh, not just establishing a fan base but establishing people who enjoy what we do. And we definitely show loyalty to them. Hey, Sean, what's the website? <laughs> Good one. Uh, www.d3rdandjam.com. Uh, All one word, T-H-E. Um, the number three, uh, letter R-D-A-N-D-J-A-M.com. Uh, nice. Yes, and I think uh, I will go to that site and have a look. I, I, I've listened into your track that you sent me live, and I will include it on the recording as well because I think it's an excellent track. Uh, thank you. Uh, Sean wrote that actually. That, that's his. Uh, I'm not going to take credit for that. That's Chris and Band. That was all a band of the band effort. <laughs> the band really. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, and Mark Anthony Reigns, what I'll do is um, I'll send um, the instrumental versions of it. So if you if you want to have the music playing in the background, it won't disturb the dialogue uh, that's going on, which I think is pretty good. Okay. 
I do appreciate that you've given your time a day and I, I respect that you didn't mind me contacting you and me talking to you and I've enjoyed our chat and I so wish you fun. luck in your career thank you thank you so much um, it was a play it was our pleasure uh, we were we were very excited to hear from you and um, you can't see me but I'm actually walking on air right now <laughs> and Mark Adams, if you don't mind, sometime in the new the future, after definitely we've exposed people to uh, your podcast and and of course uh, your podcast exposing people to us, we would like to um, be back on and have all of the band members, which are definitely an interesting cast of characters, um, speak with you as well. Yes, um, that would be appreciated as well. I'm sure they would like to come on, just to talk to some British man that lives in Hollywood. <laughs> and if they're lucky, I might even sing to them. So, you know. and, I, and Mark Anthony Rains, I think you requested also uh, that you uh, that we do something live. So hopefully, by the time uh, you have us back on, uh, we can have um, something playing live in the background to give you a, a true sample of what, what I consider true musicianship is. Yes. Yes, that's okay. I do appreciate that. And Thank you. I should give you time to set that up so you've got a little bit of leeway to do a bit of practicing before you come on here. Oh yeah, definitely something new. <laughs> and uh, yet again, I thank you for giving your time. And I like to say good night and ta ta. Good night. And good thank, night, you again. thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you.